Hello, welcome to Hospice Insights, the law and beyond, where we connect you to what matters in the ever-changing world of hospice and palliative care. The next wave from OIG, DME POS audits. In today's episode, Brian Nowicki and I discuss the latest round of OIG audits, which focus on DME supplies and their relatedness to a patient's terminal prognosis. Whether or not you're subject to these audits, we share strategies for withstanding government scrutiny of your relatedness determinations, including the who, when, why, and how of your decision-making. This is Meg Pekarski, and I'm here with Brian Nowicki. Again, yes. my, my, <laughs> you and I are, are usually at, at my roundtable talking about issues, and so thanks for joining me, Brian. You're welcome. So... Um, and this is probably going to be a shorter podcast, but maybe, you know, we're going to end up talking about tw- this for 20 minutes. But but the, the thing I thought would be interesting for us to talk about today, Brian, is the, the recent OIG audits related to DME that came out. And so these audits, which I, I want you to sort of dig into here, but the the takeaway is they look very similar to the Part D kind of audits that we that OIG did. So we expect that there is going to be a similar negative report that may come out as a result of this, which is, I think, from a very big picture standpoint, something we need to be aware of. And at its core, it's all about relatedness and are we actually covering what we said we wanted to cover. But but let's unpack this for a second. So, so Brian, um, what are these OIG DME audits? So what, what OIG is doing, as you said, consistent with the work plan, is they're looking at particular patients, particular hospice patients who have obtained or were provided with DME or other, it's, it's the DME POS audit, yeah. so durable medical equipment, prosthetics, orthotics, and supplies. So they look at the patient and then they, it appears that they then find what hospice that patient was with, uh, and then they go to the hospice and, and ask for a number of records relating to that DME POS, uh, relating to the patient for a certain month, but then also they ask some pointed questions about that relatedness issue. So we're seeing clients get these requests, much like the Part D, and, and of course, as you said, if it turns out anything like Part D, it's going to be a big issue with OIG. It's going to lead to more questions and more enforcement efforts. So you're better to get out in the front end of this and know what's coming. And so in in terms of um, how they pulled this, similar to we, I think we did an earlier podcast episode on the RN supervisory visit audit they did a while ago, but they had essentially used claims data to say, oh, there was a gap of more than 14 days in RN visits. And so that really dictated both the hospices and the sampling. And I'm expecting here is there were things that were separately billed to Medicare that were DME. And so they're taking these claims and then, you know, asking us about those patients that they're on our hospice because they're asking about, you know, did you 
cover these items? And if so, why? And if not, why? Well, right. And so that kind of gets to the question. So I think the methodology <coughs> you described is, is exactly right. They're looking for a claim that was submitted where uh, something, a DME POS was paid for outside the hospice benefit. And you can tell they're questioning that because of the three questions they ask. The last one is, should the hospice have covered this under its payment? Yeah. Uh, leading up to that, they ask a couple of very similar questions. Uh, was that item, uh, was it used to manage or palliate the diagnosis or symptom related to the terminal diagnosis or related conditions? And then they also asked, was the item medically appropriate and clinically necessary for the palliation of the terminal prognosis or related to conditions? Uh, and then they asked the question, should it have been covered? So mm -hmm. you kind of, as you answer these questions, if you get one of these audits, you read them carefully, make sure there's consistency among the answers. Uh, they also ask for documentation where you had communications with the DME POS provider mm -hmm. about whether it was related what kind of analysis was done to determine that. So it's obvious that they're really getting at that relatedness issue. Yeah, and I, I think that this is, you know, when we talk about the government digging deeper, I mean, I think it's both, um, you know, was – did you intend to cover this? Because I think that that's something that is oftentimes overlooked when you look – at the OIG reports, it's the premise is more like hospice is a bad actor. You should have paid for this and you like intentionally didn't pay for this. One might be led to believe when instead, I feel like through our work, oftentimes the hospice made the decision that is the, you know, in most instances, right, that this is related, we intended to pay for it. And with this DME, we pay, uh, oftentimes hospices are paying a, per, a patient per day amount. And so we would argue we did pay for this, we expected it to be covered, we have documentation of that, and then sort of unbeknownst to us, this gets billed to some other uh, part of Medicare. And so I think when you and I talked about this, we see similar trends here of, I, I'm worried that the story is going to be the narrative on the medication is hospices aren't covering these things because they're making decisions that this isn't related when more often than not, it's we said it was related, but we don't have a stop on the Medicare billing system. Yeah. And so don't know when people bill outside, essentially look elsewhere um, for payment rather than right. coming to us. In that regard, it's very similar to, I think, the unfortunate narrative that came out of Part D, where they found hospices were not paying uh, or covering the pharmaceuticals, mm -hmm. and it was the hospice's fault, yeah. even though the hospice may not have any idea that their, that their patients are pro being provided with medications through Part D, and there's nothing the hospice can do. Mm -hmm. uh, hospices often have done a lot to communicate with their pharmacies, their PBMs, to alert yeah, them. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I, uh, hospices were the were the villain in that story, yeah. and uh, this kind of has a, a, the possibility of going the same way for the for all, almost the same exact reasons that hospices can do whatever they can uh, to try to let people know that they're covering everything, but you're still going to have DME POS providers who might 
erroneously be separately billing Medicare yeah. to get that double payment. Hmm. Um, and or the sloppiness, because yeah. obviously, yeah, whether or not it's actually truly a double payment to them, more, or is it just looking to the wrong provider? Well, but, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know that they're going to find yeah. a lot of fraud going yeah. on here. Yeah. I mean, it is just um, uh, the absence of coordination. Yes. But for some reason, it becomes the hospice's problem. Uh, even though the system is really not set up to allow to give the hospices the tools yeah. to put the stop or, or identify yeah. through the Medicare system that these are all hospice patients and alert people through the government's way of contacting everybody and being able to reach out to everybody mm-hmm. that, that these other providers should be aware of this and, and communicate with the hospice proactively. Yeah. Um, the other secondary point, and I think none of the audits have gotten um, as much into this, but I think is remains an important point and takeaway is as there continues to be focus on relatedness, I think that really critical to have well-documented determinations. And so oftentimes we intended to cover this and it's, you know, the, the provider, the DME provider built someone else. And so it's not really our decision making that's being questioned, but I think it is possible, especially when we're saying something is not related of really having that be well documented. And, um, Dr. Ed Martin and I, he's from Hope Health, um, out in Rhode Island. We did a presentation at NHPCO, um, in fall about relatedness and sort of the challenges around that and and how you document that because I think that you know this is sort of the low hanging fruit of oh is there an erroneous bill that's that's being paid by Medicare I think the the other issue that could be coming is did you make the right decision and it's probably always going to be questioned when it's you determine something's unrelated what kind of support do you have for that and obviously the election changes that are forthcoming here all of this focuses on what are you saying you're going to cover and all that stuff. So, I mean, when you look really big picture, you see all these dots connecting around coverage and communicating coverage and ways to make sure that the hospice is indeed paying for all of these things. But as you point out, Brian, healthcare is incredibly complex, lots of moving parts, lots of different billing systems, and it's very complicated. And, you know, we are not masters of the universe. Yeah, and I think from these audits, uh, as I mentioned, they are asking for documentation that is specific to making those determinations of relatedness. Now, I I think uh, the medical record itself can comprise documentation. Um, Sometimes a medical record could get specific and actually have that analysis uh, kind of explicit and laid out in the medical record. Uh, There may be other times when you're just looking at the data in the medical record to try to draw inferences from Mm you know, what were people thinking uh, during, for this particular piece of equipment? What from the medical record can you use to see whether this conclusion was drawn one way or another by the hospice? But when you're just relying on the medical record, absent of a specific analysis, you're taking your chances. So, yeah. so to have that analysis in the record is going to provide more clarity for the hospice to try to recreate these decisions 
years after the fact, because mm-hmm. in these current round of audits, they're going back years as they yeah. typically do. This yeah. is going back four and five years to say, what about this patient's uh, wheelchair or whatever yeah, it yeah. was? Uh, was this related or not? And you go back to the medical record back then, and maybe there's an analysis, maybe yeah. not. You have some medical record, just uh, notes and such that might uh, relate to that analysis, but but uh, how do you really demonstrate yeah. that it's been done? Because it's clear, that I think, that OIG is expecting that kind of analysis to take place. Yeah, and I, I think that's always the challenge and I think cringe people have is applying current standards to past practices because there's been, you know, significant evolution around how people document um relatedness, both the conclusion about is it related or not related. I mean, currently, I think most folks have that on the care plan or their med sheet or whatever, the, you know, is this related or not. But I think your point, Brian, and I, I think as you know, we get prepared for the election changes as they come out of showing your rationale. And, and again, especially when you're making a decision not to cover something, I mean, saying I'm going to cover this, you know, that's not really going to be scrutinized. Right. Uh, it is really when you're making that decision about it's not related. And I, I think as Ed Martin and I talked about in our session really important that the physician is is involved and ideally documenting that obviously RNs our nursing staff have a role in that too but I think you know making sure that physicians are using their clinical judgment on on this because I think there are you know as we had a very lively discussion during our session um, and there were a lot of doctors in the um, audience and there are hard calls to be made you know we deal with some very complex patients. And, and um, so anyway, I think it's, these are hard decisions. But, you know, again, I think the large focus of this are things that were erroneously billed that we probably wanted to cover, but because we are not masters of the universe, didn't, but it wasn't because our documentation said we didn't want to cover this. I mean, obviously, we don't know every single example. But I think in our experience, more often than not, that is, that is the cause. And, you know, there's only so many safeguards you can put in place to prevent someone from billing outside the benefit, because we can't see that they do that, yeah. and our ability to police that is very difficult. And I think your suggestion about physician involvement is a really good one. Just like in uh, audits where we're defending patients, and we have physicians certifying them, we like to present material and further supporting um, descriptions and opinions by other physicians because we always want to out-credential whoever's reviewing yes. us. And so if we can say these are kind of physician analysis analyses that are taking place and the OIG is instead using uh, non-physician reviewers, whatever mm-hmm. clinician they may, may be, but they're non-physicians, it gives us that little edge to keep pushing that these are complex and you really do need a physician to look at these. Because yep. I think up and down with auditors, including OIG, they tend to rely on 
the lower cost clinicians, yeah. they don't bring yeah. physicians into all of these. So it gives us a bit of an edge if we have ever are in a position of having to challenge results. Well, and I think another important point that you're raising is the role of contemporaneous documentation. So after the fact, conclusions, I think, are always... I mean, obviously, we argue when we're defending hospices that this is just a Monday morning quarterbacking kind of evaluation. So the more a hospice has of I connected the dots at the time and you have this documented. And I know we talk about this and I won't go off on a tangent here, but when we're defending audits, that physician narrative is probably one of the most important things in the medical record because it is that doc dot connecting document. It explains the why behind the conclusion, which I think, you know, as auditing continues to evolve, it's going to be about the why did you believe this to be true? Because, you know, we've talked about a Sarah care regularly on this podcast, but I think that standard and being able to take advantage of the principles that the 11th Circuit held in that case, it really goes into the why I believe this to be true and that someone can disagree with me, but it doesn't necessarily make me hospice physician right. wrong. That, that contemporaneous note is really uh, such a such an advantage hospices can have. They're seeing the patients day in and day out. They can make the contemporaneous real-time note by a physician. Uh, and just as a, a standard of evidence, that, that is always going to be viewed more reliably than somebody's recollection after the fact or somebody trying to interpret a medical record yep. years after the fact. And a Seracare does uh, raise a lot of suspicion about uh, a, a subsequent review of a medical record years after the fact by a non-physician. Yeah. So it gives us a lot of good language that we can use mm-hmm. in a lot of ways in a lot of audits, prognostication, and now the relatedness issues. Mm-hmm. A lot of those principles in a Seracare are helpful here, and they're they're there for hospices to take advantage of, and we would encourage that. Well, and I I think the takeaway really from our discussion is. You know, not that there is something you're going to be able to do to say, I'm never going to get audited again. I mean, I think these things are going to continue to happen for all the reasons we've already talked about in this and other podcasts. It's really how do I best prepare to defend myself when this, this does happen? And I think it's, it's a linchpin here is really your hospice physicians and having engaged hospice physicians who are doing that dot connecting on a contemporaneous basis because that is going to put you in the strongest stead when you have to defend an unrelatedness determination or, you know, medical necessity on terminal illness. And so I, I just think so much of what we talk about in hospice law and beyond <laughs> is really the critical role of those physicians and someone who is really learned in this area is in terms of a compliance program, probably one of the most important things hospices can do. Yeah, and there are so many ways you can get audited. It's because you've done something wrong or you have an aberrant billing pattern or with these DME audits, they're, they're actually going from the patient and reverse engineering it back yes. to the hospice. Yeah. So it's not anything that the hospice did specifically, but they're starting at the patient level. Yeah. So you're right. Don't think that you can avoid the audit, but but what we're talking about are ways to come out of these audits uh, better, to be better prepared to address them 
uh, and and hopefully get out of the audit once it's begun. Yeah. So, well, great conversation, Brian. Thanks for sharing your time and, and thoughts. I think this was was helpful. So until next time, Brian. Yes, always happy to do this. This was pretty timely. So until next time. Thank you. Well, that is it for today's episode of Hospice Insights, The Law and Beyond. Thank you for joining the conversation. Subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at hushblackwell.com or sign up wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may the wind be at your back.